something you've not heard yet, and that is at 5 o'clock this afternoon, we have a family meeting. So, are you all alive today or what? Okay, all right. Well, I've been told multiple times to remind you of that. So, be back tonight. Celebrate with us what God has done. Um, we've got so many. We've got a number of folks we need to keep in prayer. Um, Anna Johnson is one. Chris Johnson, you know, Anna uh, was burned this week. She's doing extremely well. Maybe she gets to go home tomorrow. And um, I just wanted to thank the staff here. Uh, on Tuesday, I was driving out of the driveway, and I got a note from Carson. I, I really thought it was an elder that sent it to me, that she was in the emergency room. She'd been burned at Chris, and trying to put the fire out, had burned his hands. So I took off to the emergency room, and... Um, Carson was over at the house. Car there you are, Carson. And listen, y'all are going to, Tuesday you have a baby? You're going to do? You know it's going to be Tuesday. It's for certain. Okay, all right. In my day, you didn't know. Now you know. Um, anyway, Carson was over there, and he worked with uh, Service Pro to get the smoke and all of that out of the house. And Claudia was up there with... Uh, Anna as well. We, we've got such great staff, folks. I'm so thankful for them. And uh, this week was just a picture of how this staff, you know, I think one of the things that makes our staff different is that all our staff has a pastor's heart. Not every pastor even has a pastor's heart. But we have a staff that just really has a heart for you, for the people, for the Lord. Um, all this semester, you didn't know that this semester, I have been working with Kirkwood, uh, when you get to your senior year in seminary, you have to take, uh, there's a class that basically says you have to find a pastor in your area and you have to spend X number of hours with him over the course of the semester. Well, I've done that with Kirkwood. He's going to fail. So, but uh, <laughs> no, no, but uh, it, it'll be all right. We'll see that he gets through. In, anyway, I, I've spent this, this semester with him and I just I told him this on our last meeting. I said, uh, because I was having to fill out, you know, stuff for the, to send back to his professor there, that he, had, he has such a pastor's heart. And I said, but you know what? All of our staff has a, a real pastor's heart. So I'm so thankful for him. I, I just want to say uh, to the church about the staff, I love them. I appreciate them. I'm thankful for them. And y'all have done a, you, you just did an exceptional job this week in a tough situation. Now, you've got your copy of God's Word. Uh, look with me. Go, if you will, to Exodus uh, chapter uh, 4. Exodus chapter 4. Uh, there's a guy from England, 62-year-old man, Jan, uh, John uh, Brandick, who uh, was not feeling well. John went to the doctor. Uh, they ran all kind of tests. They came back in. They sat him down. They said, listen, we've got some tough news um, what we've discovered is that you have pancreatic cancer and you have approximately, we think, you have a year to live. And so John, of course, left there devastated. He went home. He sat around. He thought about, what am I going to do? What, what should I do? What could I do the last year of my life? How am I going to spend these last you know, months that I have to live? And he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. I'm just going to do things that I've wanted to do so that when I die, I will have done all of the things that, you know, I just would love to do. So he quit work. He stopped paying his mortgage. 
He stopped paying his taxes. Now, all of us talk about it, but he literally did it. He just stopped. I'm just not going to pay any more taxes. And he took all of his money, and he bought all of his family and his friends these really expensive, nice gifts. And then he just traveled about a little bit, and he would go out and just dine at some of the finest restaurants not restaurants you go to on a, you know, on a normal basis, but really nice, expensive restaurants that you go to, um, you know, if daddy's paying, those kind of places that, you know, so he went and he did that and he just, he got down to the last of his money, spent it all, and it was almost a year, so he went back to the doctor just to get you know, a final word on what's going on. And they come in, they sit him down, and they say, we've got really incredible news. Um, you're not going to die. You don't have pancreatic cancer. And um, you had an infection in your pancreas. There was a misdiagnosis. You will live, and he thought, I will live, but I will live now with, with nothing. I've spent it all. Uh, it's all gone. That's a misdiagnosis that cost him everything that he had. Now, what you're going to discover is that in this passage, Moses is going to misdiagnose his own issues, his own needs in his own life. And uh, God now has called him to go to Pharaoh, exactly what Amanda was singing just a few minutes ago. In chapter 3, verse 10, you read this, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, um, that's what God's calling me to do. God said, listen, I've got a task for you. I'm showing up here in the wilderness in this burning bush, and I've got something for you to do. And what, uh, what's going to come out of this is this whole misdiagnosis uh, in his life, and he's going to diagnose himself. It's going to be wrong. And, and what he's doing is this. He is showing you and he's showing me that he's come to the place where his problems are bigger than the power of God. Oh, my problem. That's all I can do is focus on my problems. I see my needs, my issues, the things that I'm going through, and they are so much bigger. When you focus on those things, your problems absolutely will become bigger than the power of God. You will be convinced that not even God can do anything about this. So that's where Moses is. That's what he's going to do. That's what I want you to see, and that's what we're going to look at. Moses is given a task by God, and Moses doesn't say, Lord, I will aspire in the strength of God to do this. No, sheepishly, Moses is going to walk away from this, and what he is going to do is that he's going to settle uh, for just the little that he's been doing. Now, we do that. God gives us all a task. Every one of us in here, if you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, God gives you tasks to do. God calls you to ministry. You know, you, you have a job, uh, that's how you earn your living, but that's really the platform for your ministry. Have you ever thought about that? That's the platform for your ministry, how God wants to use you. And so God comes and he gives us, and we, we rarely ever aspire to do everything that God's called us to do. What we do is we kind of back away and we settle for the little things, the little things in life 
that takes so little effort and so little sacrifice, and that's what Moses is going to attempt to do. Now, I want you to watch with me, and we're going to go through this, and then we're going to come down to an invitation, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. Number one, I want you to watch this. I want you to look, beginning in chapter 4, verse 10, we often cover our own disobedience with a misdiagnosis. In other words, I will misdiagnose myself to everybody, and uh, it, it, it honestly is covering up a, a lack of, uh, of trusting God and a disobedience to do what God's called me to do, but it sounds good to everybody and it sounds good to me. Now, that's what Moses is about to do right here. So let's look, beginning in verse uh, 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord. You see, God's called him now. I want you to go there. He's already given three things. Lord, who am I? Man, you ask me to do something. I don't even know who I am. Number two, who are you? And then the third thing he's going to say that we've already looked at last week is this. Well, God, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe that I've encountered you, that I've gotten a word from you? What am I supposed to do? And then God gives him those signs. You know, we've looked at all of that. And so now he's going to come to yet another excuse uh, right here. And he's basically going to say, I can't do that. It's impossible. Please, Lord. Verse 10, I have never been eloquent. Now, the word there is literally ish. Uh, ish in Hebrew, when you, you go back to Genesis, God made ish and isha. Uh, if you read it in the Greek, it's God made Adam and Adamah. So ish is man right here. It's kind of interesting that he would say uh, to the Lord, I have never been man. Now, what does he mean by that? The word eloquent is used twice in Scripture. Once right here, once in the New Testament, where it describes Apollos, who was a very learned man, uh, very learned, very educated, and it used the word logos, but it is translated eloquent. And what it was saying was that Apollos was an eloquent or was a man of great oratorical ability. Well, that's what Moses is saying here in the Hebrew. He is saying, I'm not a man of great speech. I'm not a man of oratorical ability. Even though Stephen tells us, Acts chapter 7, verse 22, that Moses was a man mighty in word. Now, there's been a lot of debate about what Moses is saying here. Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past. Now, look at the end of the verse. For I am slow of speech. The word slow in the Hebrew is heavy. I am heavy of speech and heavy of tongue. It literally is heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Now, the Akkadian language, which you'll pick up some Akkadian in the Old Testament, uh, there is, I, I, I found an indication that in Akkadian, that heavy mouth literally was a medical diagnosis for a speech impediment. Now, that's the way I had always been taught. I had always heard Moses stuttered, that Moses was a stutterer and that that's what he was referring to. It very well may be. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm really, I'm going to give you the Mac Brunson version of this, but I'm going to wait a moment and I'm going to take you there to it. Some believe that he had a speech impediment where he would basically stutter. 
Others said, no, this was a language issue that he was saying, I can't switch from Hebrew back to Egyptian. Hebrew is his heart language. Egyptian was a learn. And I would say to that, a very technical term in the Greek, baloney. Uh, he had been doing it ever since he was speaking. So him switching between two languages, we've got children in this church who can switch between English and whatever their heart language is or their parents' heart language. They can go, you never pick up a dialect or any accent whatsoever. So I don't think it was that. I think that's kind of obvious. Others say, well, he's talking about diplomatically. I can't speak in diplomatic language. Now, I, I, for 20 years, I would go every December and I would teach and speak to ambassadors at the UN. And let me tell you, there is a language that they speak. Um, it, it's a way of speaking. It's the words you use, the words you don't use. There are certain things about that, and that's what they were referring to. I don't believe that's true either because he spent all those years at uh, Pharaoh University at PU, learning how to be a diplomat, learning how to, how do you speak to other leaders from other countries? Uh, so I don't believe it was that. Now, let me show you uh, something else that is said in Scripture. Look over to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, there's another word that is going to be used. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 12, if you get to the last of that sentence, but Moses spoke before the Lord saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Now this is a new word that he uses. He uses it again in verse 30, same chapter, chapter 6, verse 30. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, that word is an unusual word that you, you never would think of it in relationship to speech and tongue and lips. It's literally the word uncircumcised. Moses said, I'm uncircumcised in my, in my tongue, in my lips, in my words. Now, folks, I don't know exactly how to put this, uh, but it expressed a difficulty in speaking. Um, it expressed a difficulty in perhaps pronunciation. I don't know what Moses primarily had, but every indication was he was a man mighty in word, and yet there was some issue about his speech that he keeps referring to. Now, this is an, a fascinating thing to me. Watch at this. Go back to verse 10. Let me read to you what I did not read. What I did not say to you is this, and it becomes somewhat of a sarcastic statement to God by Moses. Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Now, what he says there is essentially this, God, I've always been this way. I was this way up until the moment I came to this burning bush and started a conversation with you. And the fact of the matter is this, you may be able to turn a staff into a serpent and back into a staff. You may be able to make my hand whole, become leprous, and then make it whole again. But since I've been talking to you, you ain't done nothing about my speech. You can still see I've got an issue with speaking. 
He's making an argument with God. He's building a, a debate with God. He is talking to God. Now, here's the fun. And he comes and he says, basically, in this sarcastic manner, since I've been, it's always been this way. And since I've been talking to you, it's not changed. You may change that staff. You may change this hand. You have not changed the fact that I have some kind of speech impediment. I have something going on that is medically described, and here he is. He's diagnosing himself as a heavy tongue or a heavy mouth. We would say a speech impediment. Did he speak slow? Uh, was he th slow in thought? Uh, did he get tongue-tied? Uh, was he nervous? Did that happen? Whatever it is, God's asking him to speak in front of people. That's the number one fear. Do you know that beats death? The fear of speaking beats out death. The second is the fear of death. Number one is the fear of speaking. So you better hope you never have to speak at your own funeral. Boy, that would be, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Anyway, it'd be terrifying for us if it happened. But anyway, this, this is what he said. I can't do this. And the interesting thing is this. Do you hear what he's doing? He's talking to God saying, I can't talk. He is arguing with God that he cannot speak. He's debating with God, telling God he can't do what he is in the process of doing with God. Now that's just wild. God, I can't do this. And he's giving him all of these reasons, and he's showing him why he has misdiagnosed himself is exactly what he's done. I don't want you to know what the real issue is, and the real issue, let me let you in on it, is disobedience. I don't want to do it. But I'm going to tell you, I've got a prop. Do we not do this all the time? Y'all are so quiet. Yes, pastor, yes, we do, we do. We sure do. We do that. Listen, we come as a, I don't want to do this, so I'm just going to make something up about me. I'm really, I've got a migraine. I've got a stomach ache. I've had the flu. I've this, that, the other. God, I can't do it. Now, I'm going to bring you down to what I really think it is. What I really think the whole issue is with Moses is this. It's insecurity. I've done this. I tried that. I failed at that. I was a colossal failure. It was a mistake. I, I'm never going to try that again. I'm never going to do that again. So God, you're just asking the wrong person to do this because it was so terrible that it's affected the last 40 years of my life, and I'm not going back in there. That is the insecurity in Moses. I can't do it. Y'all remember the name Maxwell Maltz? Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon before they called him plastic surgeons, back in the early, early part of the last century. And he wrote a book that's one about the 50, 60, uh, in the top 50 or 60 classic books written by Americans called Psycho-Cybernetics. And it was a book that dealt with psycho-cybernetics, and it was a book that dealt with this whole issue of insecurity. And Maxwell Maltz in that book said 95% of people in America are insecure. They deal with insecurities. Now, I agree 100% with him. The only question I've got is the other 5%. I think they deal with insecurities too. They just cover it up really well. 
So we all struggle in the area of insecurity. Now, I'm going to give you something. You ought to write some of this down. I'm going to give you a couple of things because I want you to see this in Moses. Number one, I'm going to give you three ways insecurity kind of builds in life. Number one, insecurity can be created in childhood experiences. Now, I'm not a Freudian by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think everything goes back to potty training. But I tell you this, certain things can happen in your childhood that will impact you in your adult life. Listen to this. Noted Christian psychiatrist says parents who excessively condemn and judge their children's failures cause them to grow up with a warped idea of what appropriate standards are. Parents give too little encouragement, too little praise, too little thanks, too little congratulations, or too little appreciation, and as an adult, they feel guilty and inferior, suffering from false guilt, low self-esteem, and insecurity. Now, I'm going to, this is, that, that's, that's, that's a psychiatrist there. Listen, I'm going to give you, this is the Mac Brunson deal on the other side. You can tell that little little Nimrod, how he is a winner all the time, and you're number one, and you're a champion, and you deserve a trophy, and you ought to be patted, yes, and everything is going to be great. It's all about you, and you be number one, and let me tell you, you do as much damage that way as you do the other. There's three of us down here agree with that. You You tell that kid that, and he's going to think the world literally revolves around him, which is where a lot of young people are today. And let me tell you something, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you don't deserve a participation in trophy either. But anyway, just send me notes. I don't care. Write it to the email. Send it to the pastor at Valleydale. Anyway, it, it won't bother me. I can promise you. Insecurity can be created in childhood. Number two, change can cause it. We live in a very mobile society. Talked to a young man uh, after the first service, great young man who has had to move a lot. And he says, I'm in all these different circles. And what you said really kind of spoke to me. Would you give me some advice on some things to do? Listen, we, we move so much. And even when we live in the same town, we move to different places. Or if we don't, we move in so many different circles. That can create real insecurity as well. Number three, crisis of some kind. Divorce can create uh, insecurity. Abuse can create insecurity. Abandonment can create insecurity in the life of a person. Uh, A number of things. Trauma can create insecurity. Now, what does that insecurity do? There are four characteristics that are primary for insecurity. Number one, the first can be there's so much frustration in your insecurity that it begins to make you aggressive, argumentative, uh, angry. Do you pick that up with Moses? I do. That's why I'm doing this because I think that's where Moses is. He says, listen, I've always had this issue, and God, since I've been talking to you, it hadn't got a bit better. Now, that's not just sarcastic. There's a little bit of anger there. There's a little bit of this aggressiveness there. Number two is addictive behavior. Um, Insecurity can make you addictive. It can lead to addictive behavior. It can lead to codependency. I've got to have somebody, got to have somebody, got to have somebody. I always got to have this person, this person, this person. Well, it can do that. Number three, it creates anxiety, which is the number one mental and emotional issue in America today. And number four, it leads to a critical attitude. Listen, critical people are insecure people. Did you get that? Critical people are insecure people who are always finding fault with others. Amen. 
They try to build themselves up by knocking down everyone else. If they do have a good word, you hold your breath. You wait. You know it's coming because the word is but, and then the cutting and the slashing begins. Now, that's Moses right there. I think he's insecure. I think he's got reasons to be insecure, but I think that insecurity has built up all of this this frustration in his life and has convinced him he can't trust God because his problem is bigger than God's power. Now, some of you have convinced yourself of that. Just hang on now. Now watch. That's just verse 10. I want to get to verse 11 because God's going to speak to him. Now the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now that's, that verse right there has been lifted so out of context and taken to say things that Scripture never teaches. Deb and I were in, I was, we were in seminary. And uh, we were at the church that we attended when we were in seminary. We were always there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were there, and a new pastor had been hired, and he was in. And I'll never forget that Wednesday night. There was a little uh, old lady in her 80s down on the front row who had been blind for years. I don't know what happened, but she'd been blind for years. Sweet lady, always there, always faithful, kind as she could be. And that pastor was looking at this passage and looking at a passage in the New Testament and looked at that lady and called her name and said, God made you blind. That is not, listen to me, that is not what that verse is teaching you. I want you to go out of here understanding what the verse is saying. God is saying if they're blind, if they're deaf, if they're able to speak, if they're not able to speak, I still am God over their lives. That's what he's saying. He is saying, I am the Lord that even though there is a limitation, there is a deficiency of some kind, I am still the God who is the Lord over their lives, and their limitation is not my limitation. I'm telling you, how do you apply that? I'm going to tell you right here. This is the application. All of us have some kind of limitation. All of us have some kind of deficiency. All of us have some some issue in our life that is a problem for us that we often use as a crutch, that we often use as a misdiagnosis as to why we can't teach or why we can't sing or why we can't do this or why we can't do that or why we can't do the other. And God comes and he says, it is a limitation for you, but it is not a limitation for me. Now that ought to make you, listen, if y'all were Pentecost, y'all would be in the floor right now. That is a good word. Because all of us struggle with insecurities and limitations and deficiencies, and I'm no good at this, and I'm no good at that, and this, and that, and the other. And the fact of the matter is this, we have let that become bigger than the power of God. God comes to him and he says this, listen, I am their God. Does God sit in heaven and say, well, this baby, I'm going to make this baby blind. I'm going to make this baby have cerebral palsy. I'm going to make this baby a a deaf mute. Uh, God never does that. 
It happens in the course of life, and God says, I am still God over that life, and regardless of the deficiency or the limitation that people see, it does not hinder me. I'm just, I could have a spell up here. What a great word. You need to hear that. You need to understand that. God says, listen, I am the creator and I make no mistakes. God comes and he's saying to Moses this, now then go. Do you see this in verse 12? Now then go. Even I, I, even I, that's emphatic, will be with your mouth. You go, I've got your difficulty covered. You go and I can handle whatever it is that you think is your issue or your need or your impediment. I'm just going to sit here and bask in the absolute truth of God's Word that we misdiagnose ourselves honestly to cover up our lack of obedience. God, I just don't want to do it. Now, that's what he's going to do next. Let me show you the second thing here, since the first one seemed to rattle your cage. Let me give you the second thing. Look at this, beginning in verse 13. You come and you see this, that listen, we can cover our disobedience with the wrong prescription. Now, that's what Moses is going to do next. He's going to turn around now and give God the solution to the problem that God has. It's not Moses. Moses doesn't have the problem. I'm just, Lord, I can't do this. But you got the problem now because I'm not going to do it. That's the, that's the heart of Moses. Look at this. God comes to him and he says, I want you to go. Verse 13, Moses says, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to go. What do you call that? Disobedience. What do you call disobedience? Sin. And he's there telling God, I'm not going to do it. Now, I want you to watch this. This is even more emphatic than you, than you realize. Go back up to verse 10 and let me show you something. I was showing this to Cole before, the, before I got up here. So look at this. I was, I was pointing this out to him. Then Moses said to the Lord, do you see that? You got your Bibles? You're looking at that? How is that spelled? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh. That's the name that God gave Moses back in chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's the name. That's the tetragrammaton right there. Uh, just the, uh, just the uh, uh, consonants there. And the Masorites give us, they appoint us the vowels, or they appointed uh, the vowels to this. We believe it's Yahweh. And so that is the name of God that God gave to Moses. But look at what Moses does in verse 10. Please, Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Now, what is that? That's Adonai. Adonai. In the Hebrew, it's Adonai. What is Adonai? It's the name of God. It's probably one of the most used names of God, if not the most used name of God in all of Scripture. So when Moses prays or when Moses speaks to God, he doesn't call him the name that God has given to him, Yahweh. He uses the name Adonai. Now, what does Adonai mean? It means Lord. 
Adonai literally means master. Y'all remember uh, uh, Amy Grant who sang that song? I went to Furman with her. Uh, I was in a class or two with her. Uh, never knew who she was until one night we were all down in the auditorium and out of the sinking stage came this girl playing that song, Adonai, Adonai, you know, coming up out of the sink, playing on the piano. I said, hey, that's the girl that's in my history class. Anyway, they said, well, don't you know who that is? I said, no, it's a girl in my history class. That's who she is. Uh, anyway, she, she would sing that, Adonai, Master is the name, Lord, Sovereign. Moses comes and he calls him Master. He calls him master, but he says, I'm not going to do, master, what you're telling me to do. He calls him Lord, but he says, Lord, you're going to have to find somebody else. You got the wrong person. He calls him sovereign, but now here he is calling God sovereign who knows everything. He's sovereign God. He knows everything. And Moses says, you may be sovereign, but let me give you my solution to the issue here. How many times do we call Lord, Lord? And Jesus said, yet you do not do the things I have spoken to you. He's not just, listen, why is this boy preaching out of Exodus? Because it's your story and mine. That's us. How many times do we call him Lord, Lord? But we don't do what he tells us to do. So Moses calls him Adonai. And he says, here is the solution, Lord. Bless your heart. I think you've got a problem here, but I'm going to help you out. The anger of the Lord, verse 14, burned against Moses. Now, by the way, I'm just throwing stuff in here. Uh, God has a temper. He has anger. But his anger does not control him the way our anger controls us. He is always in control of himself, as well as everything else. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there not your brother Aaron? Now watch this, the Levite. Is there not also your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you when he sees you. you he'll be so glad, he's going to be so excited to see you, Moses. He will not be able to contain his excitement. Isn't that, what, a, what an incredible coincidence. Right when Moses said, no, you got to find somebody else to do this, and all of a sudden God says, oh, hey, there's Aaron coming out here. By the way, he can speak really well. Let's use him. He's going to be so excited to see you, he'll do anything you ask him to do. Did I get no response out of y'all on that? God says, look, here comes Aaron. Now let me tell you something. Long before this conversation ever started at the burning bush, God had already put it in the heart of Aaron to go find Moses. It would have taken a long time to get out of the land of Goshen and to get out into the land of Midian, into the Sinai, when nobody else knew where Moses was. How did Aaron know? Things that make you go, hmm. It is sovereign God. It's what Moses is calling the Lord. You are Adonai, your master. You know all these things. God had already put it in the heart of Aaron to come out there because God knew exactly what Moses was going to say. Have you ever stopped to think God knows what you're going to say before you say it? 
Have you ever stopped to think that a lot of your prayers are already God has put into motion the answer of some prayer you might pray today? I don't know if y'all are doing anything or not. Good night. Come on. Let's go back to the text and let's listen to what he says. But Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. This is his solution. Aaron, is that going to be good? Is it good when I give God solutions to my disobedience? No. You say, well, wasn't, wasn't Aaron great? Wasn't he his brother? Yes. Um, but let me tell you, Moses is going to have some real problems in the days to come. Just take your Bibles and go to the ch- chapter 32 of Exodus and watch this. Verse 1, Moses had been up on that mountain with God for 40 days, and the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people assembled about Aaron, just 40 days. That's all, just 40 days. And he said to them, and they said to him, they assembled around Aaron. You ought to watch that. They assembled around him, and they said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, well, he did not do that. God did. We do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off your gold rings that are in your ears and uh, your sons and daughters and bring them to me. So they tore off their rings and their earrings and bracelets and necklaces and all that kind of stuff. And they brought them to Aaron and he fashioned a golden calf. And they start to worship this thing. And Moses is up on the mountain and God looks at Moses. He says, get down there to the people. They've gone nuts. They've just lost their mind. Get down there to him. Moses comes down the mountain. And as he comes down the mountain, verse 19, chapter 32, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets. These were the tablets that were etched by the finger of God. He was so angry, he threw those down. They shattered at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and he burned it in fire and he ground it in a powder and he scattered it on the surface of the water and he made the sons of Israel drink. He, got, he, he, he could get stirred up now, couldn't he? The guy that could not say a word, he, he gets a little forceful here, doesn't he? And he looks at Aaron, verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? They gathered around him. Some people can't handle that. They got around him. They made him feel like he should be number one. They, they kept, they, they, you're, you're going to be, you're, you're the man, Aaron. You're the guy now. Moses is gone. You're the man now. And they gathered up around him, and they blew so much smoke on him that he just lost his mind. And he decided, I like being the leader. That's going to come up again. So that, listen, Aaron not only turned the people away from God, and Moses stands there in that moment and looks at him and says, what have you done? What have you? And as Moses looked at his brother Aaron, you suppose Aaron looked anything like Moses? He saw himself, and he thought to himself, this was my solution to God. And look what my solution has done. Oh, it's going to get worse. 
he's not only going to turn the people against God. Look at, let me just read this to you in Numbers chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. He's going to turn against Moses, and he's going to turn the people against Moses. And Moses is going to have to stand there and look at Aaron and say, you were the solution for the issue that I told God I had. And you are the problem now. And I chose you. I picked you. I told God to get somebody else, and you showed up. Man, how many times have we prescribed to God our own solution uh, to what we, in our disobedience, don't want to do? Well, God, I guess you better find somebody else in the church to do that. And oftentimes in life, listen, I've gotten out ahead of God before. I, I, I've, I've had issues in ministry before, and I've gotten out ahead of God, and I've told God, listen, I've, I've told God what the solution should be, and I hired the solution, and it became a problem like you can't imagine. When the better thing for me to do is to be obedient to God and let God diagnose me and then let God give me the solution that I need to follow. In fact, let me tell you something. You would think God at this point is just going to be so upset with Moses, he's just going to walk away. He's going to do him in. And that's what, that's what Moses wants. God, just leave me alone. Just go away. Just leave me here in my misery. I want you to listen to what God tells him now in verse 12. Then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth. I am going to be with the very thing you have said is your issue. I'm going to be with your mouth. Now watch this. I want you to see this. And teach you what you are to say. I'm going to do that. See that little word teach right there? You know what that word is in the Hebrew? Torah. Moses, I'm going to Torah you. And you, oh boy, are going to write the Torah. I'm not going to push you aside. You're going to do, I'm going to make an accommodation. No capitulation on God's, God's plan is not going to be capitulated. Isn't it amazing how God will accommodate us? Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, they won't, let, they won't give me the freedom to do, I can't do it. God says, come on, get over yourself. It's not a limitation I can't handle. And I'm going to do something with you that you've never even thought was possible. I will Torah you, and you will write the Torah. Let's stand. God can do that in your life. That's the whole purpose of this message. God can do that with you. In fact, listen, let me, let me tell you, God wants to do that with you. We, we've got to stop playing doctor. We've got to give up all this misdiagnosing what my problem is. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit, this is what my problem is. And generally the problem is trusting God instead of making my problems so big that they're greater than the power of God. They're not. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news. They are not. Because of the life and the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all power has been given into his hands. And there's no limitation or deficiency in your life that he cannot use for his glory. You see, I don't think God wants to get rid. Do you know? You'll notice in the days to come, Aaron speaks less and less and less. And you know what's going to happen? Moses is going to speak more and more and more. That's what happens when you turn it over to the Lord. When you say, God, I'm going to stop misdiagnosing. The whole problem is disobedience in my life. I just need to be obedient to you. And in doing what you say, you use in a miraculous way what I never thought could be used in my life. God gives you a ministry. Your job is just your platform to carry out the ministry God has entrusted to you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do that. Give Him your life. Surrender His Lordship right now. He cares for you more than you can possibly imagine. He doesn't want to sideline you. He doesn't want to put you on a shelf. He wants to use you even in spite of yourself. Father, just in these moments, I have no idea what you do with your word once it's preached. But I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, those that need to come to you as Lord and Savior, those who need to come and stop fighting against being obedient to your will, just to surrender to you, just to have your solution for their lives. I pray that, Father. These moments before we sit to observe uh, the elements, and to think of your death, your body, your blood, all the sacrifice that you gave for us. Father, help us to respond in a way that honors you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. You come now. If God's speaking, you come as God speaks. are going to come and they're going to pass out the elements to us. So just as they're coming down and they're making their way here, Father, we prepare our hearts in these moments. 
Your word gives us strong warning about taking this in an unworthy way. So, Father, we need to come. We need to confess our sins to you, all of us. I can't confess, Father, anyone's sin but my own. So we come to you in the quietness of these moments, in anticipation of reflection, thinking back on that tremendous sacrifice, thinking of your body, thinking of your blood, thinking of the gift of salvation and forgiveness, mercy and grace that you have given to us. We come in these few moments, Lord, and say, oh God, unworthy, unworthy, unclean. And Father, have mercy on me. May in these moments, Lord, you speak strongly to our heart. And we pray that in Jesus' name.